This week on Southgate Student Ministry Podcast. We start at the end of 1 John chapter 2, around verse 28, and we go through and we talk about how when we love people, we receive the love of God, and how there's no shame when we love people. God has given us love, and we talk about loving our brother this week. Thank you for being here. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. All right, so get ready to use your imagination. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you are 10 years old again. Now, for some of you, who's like, is anyone 13? A few of you are 13. Um, some of you are 12. So, like, like for some of you, 10 years old was like real recently. Okay. Some of you, uh, this was this was like a thing that was recent in your life. Um, but when you're 10 years old, I want you just 10 is a generic age. I want you to sit there and think about something uh, that your parent would tell you not to do. That your parent would tell you not to do. I, I know normally on Wednesday nights they don't ask for like class participation, but three people, uh, what is something your parent would tell you not to do at age 10? Don't kill anyone. Wow. <laughs> That's next level. Um, Johnny Cash is talking about that. Yes. Don't pick the gum off the railing. Yes. What else? All right. That's a good one. Don't pick the gum off the railing. What else? One more thing that a parent would tell Yeah. Don't watch your nails. Don't bite your nails. My parents still tell me that. No, just kidding. Uh, no, they do though. Um, but right, so so <laughs> your parents at age ten, and, and probably even now, will give you things that they, they say, "Hey, don't de- do those things." Um, specifically, do not do those things. Now, I want you to imagine for just a minute. Uh, we're still in the imagination portion of class. Uh, that you. Listen to those things that your parent told you not to do, and then when your parent was not around, you did those things. Okay, now for Jared, that's a little bit intense. Um, We're going to toss this out. That's like the minority. Um, We're not going to say killing somebody is going to take place. Uh, But in in general, maybe you weren't thinking about the things that were said. Maybe it was something else, but you go and you do that thing that your parent specifically told you not to do. And of course, like it always is, your parent finds out that you have done this thing um, and, and you're sitting there in a room and from the other room, you hear your parent like say your name. And like, you know, like, like get in here. Except you hear that tone that's like, oh, I'm dead. Like, like I'm about to die um, from the tone that is coming from the other room. Now, how are you reacting to that? What, what is your mental reaction to hearing that tone in your voice, or in your parents' voice? For me, I'm sitting there, and I, I remember when I was 10 years old, hearing that tone coming from my parents in the other room, and just immediately freaking out. And every single punishment that my parents had ever used on me immediately began flipping through my head, like, which ones are going to be this time? What am I going to get in trouble? Um, obviously, fearing grounding, worst of all. Uh, at age 10, I was such a pathetic nerd. Um, but I, when we think about those things, and you think about the feeling that you feel when your parent calls you from the other room and you know you've done something wrong, imagine for a minute what it's going to be like on the day Jesus returns to earth 
And there are the people in the world who have chosen not to follow him. Can you imagine how they are going to feel at that moment? What John is about to do in 1 John, where we are in this study, is bring up what it must be like to be a child when your parent is upset with you. Go ahead and be turning um, in 1 John, uh, and to 1 John, uh, we're going to start at the very end of chapter 2, verse 28. It's part of, like, 28 starts a new paragraph. Whoever broke this up, um, I'm sure they were smart people, but it doesn't make sense uh, the way they broke up the chapters. But, but we're going to start in verse 28 uh, of chapter 2. I'm gonna, and I want us to read, uh, starting um, in verse 28. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, notice the language that it uses here. It, it uses this idea of now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, you, you may have confidence. What? And not shrink in shame. We just talked about this feeling when you're a 10-year-old kid and your parent calls you from the other room or your parent confronts you about something you've done wrong. Maybe you don't even have to be 10. Maybe it's you currently. And, and what is your reaction? You immediately shrink up. I don't know about you guys, but my reaction is always like, like shoulders down, like slouch, like the eyes get real droopy. And, and like it's just an automatic, sad demeanor comes across. You think about a dog. A dog will even shrink in shame when they know they've done something wrong. Their tail tucks between their legs. Their ears become different. Their faces make you want to give them whatever what they want. Um, and, like, you think about how human beings and animals have a reaction to shrink up when they get upset. And this passage paints this image of the final day, the day when Jesus returns, the last day on earth, when everyone in the world is going to, at the moment Jesus comes in from earth, everyone on the planet is going to have to look back on their life and be like, man, I'm about to face that guy, that, that person that's coming in, that being that's arriving right now, and I'm about to have to report for everything that I've done on earth. And I'm going to have to tell, have I decided to abide in Jesus or abide in the world? And you can get the idea of why you might shrink in shame. Now, the word abide uh, literally means to dwell. This is the idea of it. It's the English definition. Um, and when I think of a dwelling, I think about my home where I live. My home does not look like that, but it would be cool if it did. Um, just to clear confusion. Uh, <laughs> but, like, this idea that he's using here in these first uh, two verses of this, like, like section of scripture um, is this idea of like, like, hey, when you are in Christ, it's your permanent residence. It's the place where you live. It's, it's what you call home. It's, it's your residence. It's home for you. Um, and the point that he's making is if you choose to dwell with Christ, then on the day when he returns, there will be no shame. When Jesus comes back and, and he is, he's coming in and, and other people on this planet are sitting there and they're doing all their shrink up things and like shrug shoulders and, and tucking their tail between their legs, you are going to get to have a confidence that other people are not going to get to have if you, if you dwell with Christ. 
You won't fall in fear. Instead, you will stand up and sprint towards Jesus and run into his arms and know that you are his. But it must be if we dwell in Christ. I want us to keep going because I think what he does here is he sets up this whole paragraph and he's setting up kind of his next big thing. He's, he's wrapping up the section in this moment. But verse 1 says, uh, of chapter 3, says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, notice how John's talking in this moment. Notice how he starts off this, this paragraph in, in chapter 3. So see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that what we should be called children of God. Now, this is something that like we as Christians... In, in America have gotten like super used to like like yes we get to be his children like we are the children of God this is a big statement we're gonna get to that in just a second why that's a big statement um, because what does it mean uh, like if you think about a good father in the world a father that you would like you would be like the ultimate father what are you sitting there thinking about? You're sitting there, and uh, I don't know if you guys, I was sitting there with Amelia the other day, and I was like, well, when you think of like an ultimate father, somebody who, uh, like, what is a, does a good dad do? She was like, like, she started listening out stuff, and I was just like, <laughs> and started typing those sound effects for right on key. Um, but, but like, some things that we came up with, like the idea of supportive. Like, when you think of a father, uh, that you would be like, yes, that's a great dad. It would be one who's supportive, right? One who is who's going to show up at your events that you're a part of, going to be a part of your life. They're going to support you in your dreams. My dad crushed mine, even though he's a great... He told me I couldn't play in the NHL um, when I was 10. Uh, man, back to 10 years old. Uh, it was a very sad day, um, but he was supportive of everything else I wanted to do. Uh, you might think about somebody who, who loves you. Um, somebody who's going to go out of their way to show you love. You might think about somebody who's present in your life. Now that, you might be like a supportive, but in reality, you might be like, okay, someone who's present in your life, hey, dad, let's go hang out together. Let's go do this. And your dad's like, all right, let's do it. And he's gonna be there by your side. Maybe you think about your dad as protective. Um, a great dad is somebody who will literally die off a bridge to save you or do anything in the world to make sure that you are okay. Another great trait about a dad is like, like a dad is patient, right? Um, uh, a good dad is going to sit there and he's, he's going to not blow up in your face immediately. He's going to sit there and understand that you're not perfect because he, uh, he wants to help you grow, not just um, to lecture you. And when we could keep going, we could like keep on naming great characteristics. Maybe you're sitting there in your head like, these are great characteristics of a dad. Um, and all those things. Uh, but what I want us to realize is that we're sitting here in this moment and, and we read this passage of, hey, by the way, uh, you're the children of God. Like, oh, 
What is it? You are God's children now. He's our father. This isn't just this idea of sitting here and saying, like, you're God's children and this is great. We're not, when we think about this for us, we're like, oh, good, we're all children. What I think John really wants us to get the point of is, like, you now have a father. You have a father that, that's together. And when I think about, like, what comes with being a child of God, what comes along with this is the ultimate father. Like, the, the, all these qualities that we mentioned is, like, like father to the max, right? You want a father, we talked about being supportive. Like, he, he has a spirit that's with you literally at every second. You want him to love you. He sent his other son to die for you. You want him to be present in your life. You can talk to him whenever you want, and he is going to listen. You want him to be protective. Uh, it sounds like almost cheesy, but like full armor of God. Like you have all those things. If you just apply them to your life, you'll be protected. You want him to be patient. He'll forgive you over and over and over again, no matter what you do. These are pretty ultimate qualities of our Father. And so I'm nervous that in our culture today, in Columbia, Tennessee, when we hear the phrase, we are God's children, we shrug it off like it's not a big deal. We sit there and we hear, we read this passage, and we're like, oh, great, we're, we're, we're children of God. That's wonderful. Like, oh, yay, I get to meet every Sunday with the other children of God, and, and that's great, and that's fine, and, and whatever, and all those things. And we sit there, and, and we allow it to, we've allowed it to become something that's just like a casual thing, where we don't even put a second thought into the fact that we are a child of God, that when we're baptized into Him, we become someone who's more. We become someone who has a Father that's greater. And we just blow it off, and we say, yeah, I'm a child of God. But when God calls us his children, it should mean something to us. Can you imagine how, how much we would, I don't know if you would say like how much I'd pay, but like how cool it would be if we could sit there and be like, like I'm a child of this family. Like if I could be like, I'm a child of Ryan Gosling. One, you'd be ultimately attractive. But like, like you know, to sit there and be like, I'm the child of this person. Or I'm the child of this athlete. Or I'm the child of this singer. Or whatever you want to, whoever you want to be the child of. Like, how cool it would be to be the child of somebody famous. Yet, we sit here, and we have the creator of the universe that says, hey, I'm your father. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Big deal. It's casual. It's chill. It's nothing that's super important. And we let it just kind of roll off our tongue and roll off our shoulders. Like, it doesn't mean anything. And the one thing that nobody can take from us on this earth is that we have the best father in the world. And it's the one thing that we don't care enough about. But I want us to look at this and, and continue on because John's writing is going to go on from here uh, as he writes this letter to these people in Ephesus. And he's going to sit here and talk about the fatherly instincts of God and who he is as our father. And he's going to sit here and start talking about what it means to be disobedient to the father. I talked about earlier what it means, uh, like what is your reaction when you disobey your parents and they get upset. Um, just as a father on earth would be disappointed if you disobey them, 
It's going to talk about how God the Father is going to be, uh, in a way, disappointed, in a totally different way, if we disobey him. Let's keep reading in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning uh, who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now I want us to stop here for just a second. Because this passage of scripture is going to make a, a really strong point um, that, that is, I think, pretty obvious. Uh, but it's just this idea of when we abide with the Father, when our residence is in the same place as our Father, uh, and, and you can kind of see how like this whole thing is getting tied together of like you are his child. When we claim God as like the ultimate version of our Father on earth, but our Father in heaven, I think we get to this idea that, that makes so much more sense when we look at this comparison. And I don't know if anyone, like any of your parents have ever done this, but like when you're in his house, we play by his rules. Now, I don't think that God would look at it and, and say this type of thing about himself. Um, but for our like simplicity's sake, I think this is how we can look at it. Because we can look at this and, and notice what verse 6 says. It says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This is a pretty almost easy point in the sense of like, hey, if God's our Father, we're abiding with God in His house. What we don't want to do is take His rules, or and I, I don't like using the word rules, but take the things that He's told us to live, the way that He's told us to live, and what John's about to do is go down and break it down. We'll get there in just a second. But take those things and live by them. Thing is, some people will take this um, and kind of twist it. Uh, this is not a phrase that I like love talking about because I think like it it can be very like um, it can almost come across as snobby and I don't want it to uh, I don't want it to sound this way at all um, but like some of you may have heard the phrase and, and I'm like I'd be shocked if you had it but like you may have heard the phrase like once saved always saved this is a like a common thing it was a lot more common like for people uh, to use like this phrase I think back a little bit and maybe some of you are sitting here right now like like, I hear that phrase all the time, or maybe you're like, no one ever talks about this. Um, the thing is, like, this phrase might not be used, just out of curiosity, do you guys hear this phrase used a lot? Like, a few of you are like, eh. Yeah, this is not a phrase that's commonly used, but it's a mindset that's commonly talked about. Um, a lot of people will be like, hey, just, if you, like, go get saved, you're good forever, which is a really cool concept if if we want to like take that and run with it. And it's something that like we as humans is like we like we're like, yeah, like let's go for it. Like that's the most desirable thing in the world is for us to get to sit there and take that um, and go. And we go on and we take this uh, this they'll take this point from scripture and, and you'll hear this, you might not hear it a lot now here in Columbia in high school, but when you get to college or when you get uh, into the workforce, wherever you are, you're going to hear this quite often. But they're grabbing this verse and saying, look at this. No one who's going to abide in him is going to keep sinning. It's just impossible. Like, once you're in Christ, you can't sin anymore. It doesn't matter what you do, like sin, 
is not a part of your life. You're, you're good to go. And in a few minutes, like, we'll read a passage that might feel like it's going to support this more. Let's, like, let's keep going. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Great. That's wonderful. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Um, that's a lot tougher. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Even better. That's wonderful. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. Alright, so when we read this, if you've been born of God, if you've been saved, you're not going to make a practice of sinning. Interesting. Um, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And a lot of people will look at this and say, look at this, it says he can't keep on sinning. It's not possible for this person to keep on sinning even after, like, once they've been born again. It's just not a thing. That's ridiculous for you to think that. But I want us to use, and like I said, you might not be faced a lot with this in your world right now. But it's important that we sit here and we look at this and we study this because one day you will be. Um, I want to go back to an idea that we had that we talked about earlier with the idea of an earthly father. Uh, how often will an earthly father say you can't do something? I don't know about you guys. My dad told me this all the time. Like, hey, you live, if you live in my house, like, can't sass back to your mom. I often sass back to my mom. She and I both were very stubborn. So we went at each other all the time. My dad never, ever got it. Um, now, he would say, Ben, you can't do that. You just can't. And, uh, and unfortunately, there were points when I would, like, my mom would say something, and I'd be like, watch me, and just attack back. Um, it didn't mean that I couldn't do those things when my dad said not to do them. It meant that if I was going to stand with the authority of my parents, that I was going to try my best to do the things that my dad had told me to do and to avoid the things that he had told me not to. And if I did the things that he told me not to, the result was not me getting kicked out of the house. The result was my dad forgiving me and me getting disciplined in that moment, but forgiven and allowed to keep on living. And this is a lot of what's taking place and what John's describing here. Yeah, there are going to be times when you're going to mess up. When you're going to sin, but that doesn't mean you're going to get kicked out of eternity. But if you keep on choosing it, at some point, you won't be allowed to be there anymore. Let's go ahead and keep reading to verse 10. Um, there are a few things. We're short on time. We had to sing eight songs. Daniel's fault. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I told him to choose eight. Verse 10. All right. By this it is, it is evident um, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's keep on going um, for time's sake. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, um, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Why? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness, or and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed, um, passed out into, of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Really strong words here. Verse 15. 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I wish we had time to break all this down, because that's some of the coolest uh, parts of all of this. But I want us to go to the next part that's like the most famous part of this passage. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he has laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This passage is extremely difficult. The toughest thing that I think we read in all scripture, one of Jesus' toughest teaching there is, is that even through the dip, most difficult things, we are to love one another. We're to give back everything we have and love unconditionally. No matter the difficulty or stress, see, look, I, there was a lot of stuff. Um, no matter the difficulty or the stress, no matter the pain that loving people causes, we do it. People have wronged you, love them. They talk trash about you, love them. They aren't as intelligent as you are, love them. If they aren't forgiving of the wrongs you do, love them. If they're a homeless person walking down the side of the street who's not putting in an effort to find a job, love them. If they have different political views than you do, love them. If they have a different skin color than you do, love them. If they've taken your name and raked it through the mud and made you feel like a total loser and made other people look at you like a total loser, love them. If they've led you to a point where you have sinned and you're trying to get out of it and they keep on trying to pull you back in and they don't care, love them. Have we decided that we are going to love unconditionally? Because the call of Christianity was never to sit there and allow hatred to rule. The call of Christianity was never to sit here and sit back and let ourselves become stagnant in love. How's the end it? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. How dare we tell someone we love them? How dare we say we love people if we're not loving Indeed, and in truth, we have to love unconditionally. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Southgate Student Ministry Podcast. We hope that you'll join us next week and then maybe go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast. We're so thankful for you. Be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't yet so you can be notified each week when we post a new podcast. God bless.